Hey, Matt. Hi. What's up, guys? I love how you do your signature, <laughs> yeah. what's up, guy, laugh thing. <laughs> We're trying out new things. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, Brian looks bored. Are you supposed to make a noise? <sighs> there you go. Brian looks bored. He does. He does look <laughs> bored. Kim, kind of was... annoyed, too. Yeah. Like he's not in the mood to do a podcast. Like, how do we get going hey. with this? See? Oh. That's exactly what I God, I hate it when Brian's in a bad mood. He's so abusive. Uh, let me let me read to you. I forget what we're saying. All right. <laughs> yeah, let, uh, let's do apart. that. Let's yeah. have you read to us. Okay. This week, we are reading The Kneecap Banker by L. Jordan James. Don't know anything about the man because none of his profile stuff is on the internet. So, unless I can dredge it up for the show notes, this man is a mystery. Maybe a complete that... complete mystery. Maybe that's the fun. Maybe that is the fun. <laughs> maybe he's... Maybe he just lives down the street from Let's we know. let the listeners decide who Let's he is Let's just say for he's an international man of mystery. Who could live on your street. Who could he could. Live on your street. He could be the guy standing next to you while you're trying to buy toilet paper at the grocery uh, store. It could be. He could be the guy outside our windows mowing right now. He could be that guy. He knows tonight's a show night. Yep. And he says, I'm going to fuck with them when they read my book. Yep. He could be a Jimmy John's delivery guy. Oh. And he writes on the side. Who knows? Goddamn you. It could be anything. Our Jimmy John's is not freaking fast. Let me tell you. It's because he's writing. It's not. He's on the way over (laughs) there, then he pulls over and he writes down some notes for the story he's working on. That's L. Jordan James. Wow. We, we We got the worst Jimmy John's location. Do you? Yep, yeah. my one when I've ordered it at work. It's there in like seriously ten five, ten minutes tops. Freaking fast. Really? Really freaking fast. Because the one by Here, my it's place. about twenty five minutes. Seriously? Or so. Yeah. Because the one by my house, they come really fast, but they usually screw up your order and they're uh, always high. Oh but, yeah. Um, well that's yeah, that's the one that's over by work. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's the one I, I swear to God they're like doing Red Bull and, and cocaine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then they'd be faster. Oh god! Oh, they're it's fast. so loud in the there when you go in. Yeah, there. it is spazzy. Oh. A bunch and of they're testosterone. just all over the place. They're like ants in there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's a horrible environment. Yeah. And I always take whenever they forget to bring something. Like if I asked for chips, cherry coke, chips, Cookie. the giant pickle. Yeah. Um, and if I don't get one of those, or if I get all of them but I don't get a straw, I take it as a personal judgment against me and I'm where I'm at in life. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, Kim. Boy. Yeah. Oh, let's start with Brian because Kim does uh, have a story. No, you have a story. And, and I don't want to build it up. It's not that exciting. But I had nothing out of the ordinary happen this week until today. So. Oh, well, same with me. Go ahead, Brian. Pass. You're going to pass? Uh, <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing either. Worked all weekend, got together with some friends. Nothing exciting, nothing worth reporting. So, Kim, it's all on you to carry our, uh, our pre-show banter. It's not that exciting, but it was funny to me anyway. Oh, I came go. home for lunch because I was working at the main, um, <clears throat> we call it the main center. I usually work out at one of the satellite clinics. Ooh, but satellite the, clinics. No, but the doctor <laughs> that I work with is on vacation. So I'm over at the main center, which happens to be like three minutes from my house. So I oh, don't mind it. Look at that, yeah. And I came home for lunch, beauty of it, was on, went back. Uh, got on the elevator, was joined by a heavy set man who yeah. was oh. having a hard time breathing. Oh no! <laughs> Did he fart? 
fart? He didn't. He goes to third. I'm going to five. Yeah. He gets off on three. Door is shut by myself. Yeah. Get into five. Relief. Bam. Bam. The elevator shuts down. Oh. oh but that Big. was a near miss. You would have been trapped in an elevator with a huge breathing It was breathing a near man. miss. It's like that story by Rosalind Jewell. There was the fat guy that got in the elevator that she didn't really want to talk to. Okay, fine. Got stuck. Oh, Didn't get stuck, but, right. she, but he was going to wind up helping her towards the right. end of the chapter he read. I yeah. do remember that now, yeah. So you almost had it. He could have helped you. He might have given you a tip to some sort of mystery if you would have just not been such a uh, He got off on three. I'm just getting to five. Clunk, clunk, boom. Wow. The, ba- the elevator stops. What'd you do? No power. No power. Is dark? Is black? The, it wasn't black, but oh. I pushed all the buttons. Nothing. It's all silent. No air conditioning. It's all silent. It is hot. And so I pushed some buttons. Nothing happened. I looked at the alarm button. And then I looked to my left and I saw the call button. So I chose the call button. Uh Right away, security says, how may I help you? Stuck on an elevator. Did the whole rigmarole. Did you try doing this? Did you try opening the doors? (laughs) It was your fault. Exactly. (laughs) Kind of like, did you restart the computer? You know, the IT. First question. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, okay, all right, we're sending some people. They send some people who are in the building. Nobody, they've exhausted their resource. You know, that's all they know. Uh They've done everything they know. We got to call the guy. What does that mean? How long does that take? 45 minutes. You're kidding me. But he didn't, I don't know if it was him or somebody else in the building was like, ah, let me handle it. Because it was only about 15 minutes later. They're like, okay, the other, you know, we got a guy here, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then they were able to pry the doors open, and I was out. But really, during, they but pried the doors halfway, open halfway or anything like that. Yeah. No, I was well. It was probably maybe I don't, not very far. It was almost to the fifth floor. It was okay. just shy. Mm-hmm. But it's like all the power was out to the anything. You oh. know, they couldn't. They couldn't make it do anything. Because I was going to say, I, that would be my biggest fear, getting out of an elevator when it's that's like oh, halfway part up. way and then, yeah, all of and a then getting chopped on. off. You know, yeah. I've seen a video, sorry to interrupt, no, it's be scary, uh, to bring this down a few notches. I did see a video of a guy, it was like the security camera inside an elevator, and there was a guy standing in there, and like this apparently is mildly famous because somebody sent it to me. Uh, the doors open, the guy starts to walk out, and as he starts to walk out, the elevator suddenly shoots down. Oh. So the front half of his body bends over oh. would be the floor, and oh. then the last half he got cut in half. Oh, yeah. Nope. So nope. after nope. after seeing that, every time I got in an elevator, I was just like dash through the door as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. So that was amazing. That's actually kind of an exciting story because they had to pry the doors open. They did. So <clears throat> it, did the guy say, "I'm going to stay on the phone with you. I'm not going to leave much. you alone." Like, did he really? The lady's like, "I'll keep the line open." I'm like, "No, seriously, you don't have to. I got nothing to small talk about." <laughs> so she's like, well, "Let me know if you need." anything and I thought well you can't get to me so I can't need anything <laughs> yeah. are you and there's like a little like a little bottle of water on a string yeah, comes I down know. to the How, grate in the where top where are you going to get anything to me so she says uh, five minutes later I gotta pee yeah. I gotta pee yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna pee in the corner funny that yeah. I did say that so anyway you did <laughs> nice <laughs> so I was then I you know the security people were there you know you have any health issues I'm like no I work here it's fine yeah. is there anybody I should contact anybody 
waiting for you. I'm like, well, I'm I'm texting my you know coworker. Well, they got to be thankful that it was an employee and not a patient. Yeah. So and then I I laid myself down, put my feet up, took a selfie, you know, with my feet up against the buttons, and I'm texting people in my department, you know, ah, I'm stuck on the elevator, and I was gonna you know shut my eyes. I got my really. Phone, You're just gonna I, hang I, out. I was just gonna hang out. Really? Like, well, I'm <laughs> here for nap? I'm here for a while. It's Aww. fine. And then they kept talking to me through the doors. And I'm like, come on. I'm trying to just relax. I love you trying to take a nap. I love they open the doors and they're like, oh, shh. She's sleeping like a baby. Oh, she's perfect. So she's passed out. So it must have been probably a half hour total, but it was getting really hot in there. And, and that was fine. But I did text my coworker. I hope I don't have to pee in the corner. Oh. <laughs> like, you know. I wonder but how many times they had experienced that. I'm so thankful <clears throat> nobody was in there with me. So then they pry the doors open and I get up. I'm like, woohoo. And then I said, where? And so there was about, I don't know, four or five people out there, security people and, and whatever, maintenance. Yeah. And I said, where are my claps and cheers? Oh, like yeah. I wanted to come, like and the where's, miners, your, where's your emergency blanket? Like the miners coming out of the <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm like, come on. And so then they clapped, and they're like, another one saved. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you should have told you're all heroes. <laughs> <laughs> so then I walk in through the lobby um, where the waiting room is back to my department, and some guy said, are you the one that was stuck in the elevator? <laughs> Oh, really? And I said, yeah. Nice. <laughs> and I said, it's one way to get out of work. <laughs> oh, 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 you son of a bitch. You right? salty son of a I bitch. Know, I know. Oh, sharp as a tack. Yeah, you're sharp as a tack. All right. That actually is kind of an exciting story. You so, said it wasn't a big deal, but it's kind of a big deal. It was kind of funny. I'm thinking about how many times those people have had to free someone from an elevator, and when they finally free them after like three or four hours, yeah. there's just a pile of shit in the corner. Oh. And, pee, and then they're just like trying to maintain their dignity as they walk out. If I was with that heavy set, heavy breather, oh, <laughs> oh that yeah. would have been so it bad. Would have really hot. In there. I'm sure it'd be a lot of him going, I'm sorry. <gasps> I'm sorry that I'm disgusting. <laughs> I've never been stuck in an elevator. Brian, have you? Close, no. Close? What do you mean close? Well, we've had the elevator at our place. Oh, really? Yeah. Like Did someone lights. stop it on purpose so that they could have sex? You know, I've no. seen in that elevator, I'm not making this up, I've seen a handprint because the elevator doors are metal, like brushed stainless steel yep. or whatever. I've seen handprints on it, which <laughs> cracked me Woo! up. It's like someone was making babies because they were apparently boom, boom, straddling, boom. Nice. positioning themselves. So since this week we're reading the kneecap banker, uh, and I looked it up, and kneecap banker means a a thug that loans money. A loan shark. Loan shark, Brian's history. With shady things. What beer are we drinking? <laughs> nice. 1050 Imperial Stout by Oscar Blues Brewery in... Colorado, USA. Or is it Longsmont, Colorado? And, uh, yeah, all over the can here. Yeah, there's can a lot here, of small it says, type. Uh, this dog will hunt. Mm. Yes. Half-baked, fully roasted ale. And it, was, it is a, an Imperial Stout. It's also a cross-eyed... Cyclopean, Cyclopean, Canicuspian, Canicuspian, yeah. Canicuspian, and but it's ten point five percent. Yeah, this this yeah. Uh, this beer is going to knock us on our ass. Yeah. Oh my god! And my kids are here <laughs> this fine evening. Well, he'll be so. I'm going to be babysitting <laughs> this baby. I'm not going to be guzzling this stuff. Oh, I like how you put the thumb over the. Oh my god, that looks Whoa, like coffee. That's gross. That looks so thick, like coffee. It's an, oh. it's an imperial stout. It what looks like motor mean? oil. 
It's so thick. Look at that. There's, you cannot see through that. Oh, that looks disgusting. I'm going to love it. Disgusting. That does look disgusting. Oh, my God. That's rich. Oh, Kim, smell it. It smells kind of fruity in a weird way. Yeah, it does. It tempts you. It brings you in mm. with its basic coffee. You can barely hear it. It's like tar going into your glass. <laughs> <laughs> like you're laughing. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to put my lips on this. Oh. Is it good? Oh. Let's try it out. It's got a lot of foam on the tops. Mm. Brian, all you're getting is foam. I can yeah, guarantee no, it's going to take a half hour for that I'm foam gonna to I'm going to be chewing on that all night. Oh, that is thick. Kim, try it. All right. That is a thick, bitter taste. That's 10.5% alcohol in your mouth. Oh, Ooh. Man. Yeah. Do you like it, Brian? The alcohol is, like, really there. But I do you tell. But do you like it? I do. Okay. This reminds me of um, oh, a little bit of, so uh, thick. whatchamacallit, and Hopkins, um, LTD Brewing. Oh, yeah. And they're really dark uh, ones. They're dark beers. Right. Okay. <clears throat> The Kneecap Banker by L. Jordan James. <clears throat> man of mystery. Man of mystery. Possible pizza delivery man. Possible neighbor that won't <laughs> stop mowing at Possible 8 o'clock at night. Jimmy John's freaking fast delivery guy. Possible young high kid stopping mm-hmm. on his deliveries to write stories. Mm-hmm. That's well, why we, he's so late. Well, we do know hmm. he's a, he is a writer. He is a writer. We got that much going yes. for us. We can just filter that out across the country. We'll find out who this man is. The first time I caught her scent was from sofa cushions and tangled bedding in a flea bag hotel down on the east side called the Memphis. The neighborhood, the room, the furniture were all ratty, but I was intimate with the area. I knew what to expect. I also knew Elsa, a maid who worked there. She let me into the room. Elsa unlocked the door. I tried to pass by, but she partially blocked the entrance, and there seemed to be an unspoken purpose involved. Elsa faced me, looked into my eyes, held them until she smiled, blushed, and looked away. She stepped around me to the stairs and hurried down, but found enough time to say over her shoulder, Call me Chauncey. I smiled and watched her, how acutely aware of that swaying movement of her hips, the light, feminine way she touched the banister. The quick beat of her heart. I knew it wasn't really me she was attracted to. Her interest was become of my werewolf pheromones. Some women respond to it. Most don't. Maybe I would call her later, but at the moment I had business to attend to. No one was in the room and the place was a mess, and for some reason I wasn't surprised. I looked for Stuart Stevens, or Big Sweet, to people who knew him. But there had been another person there as well. A woman. They were together. I smelled the intense sex between them, which convinced me that anywhere I'd find her, I'd sure as hell find him. As I stood there, taking in the space, the sight of the upturned furniture, the smells of both people, something unexpected happened. Her scent overpowered his, and it was intoxicating. Yes, the smell of cigarettes, cheap perfume, desperation at the local bar, or a dive just down the street where prostitutes, pimps, and cops mingled. But somehow her cheap perfume... When mixed with her pheromones, reminded me of the most expensive fragrance on the market. Uh, you were just nailing it. Thank I... you. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Both scents, the perfume and the 
pheromones, made each more complex than either would have been separately, like she understood how they both interacted. The synergistic effect was something that not many people knew how to accomplish. Well, I didn't know of anyone that could do it. Maybe her choice in parfums was an accident, or maybe it was done on a more subconscious level. There was another scent, though, below her perfume, below her pheromones that refused to rise to the level of recognition. The scent danced just beyond the periphery of my understanding, and it was driving me crazy. I walked back and forth into the small room, frustrated, on the verge of anger, trying to identify that damn lingering fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> All of the smells in the room were an assault on my senses, except for her pheromones. And this one small deviation from the norm that cut through all the other scents and forced me to pay attention. Because it was unrecognizable. Because it demanded my scrutiny. It rose from obscurity, climbing high above every other fragrance in the room. It cut across every scent, a disconcerting sound in the room, full of mundane babble that first began with a squeal. At first, it was like listening to an old rusty nail being pulled out of wood under protest, but slowly, surely rose to something that Beethoven would have been proud of, both in its simplicity and depth. I stayed hopelessly lost when I tried to identify the smell, though... Adding to the lost feeling were all the questions that presented themselves to me that baffled me, while fewer and fewer answers were available. Where was Big Sweet? Why did he run? If he chose to run with the boss's money, why did he hole up in this rat's nest in the boss's backyard? And who was this woman that smelled like heaven on earth? <laughs> questions rested on top of questions without any kind of definable answer. That's, uh, William Shatner. <laughs> nice. William Shatner there for a second. Nice. Big Sweet's odor, by contrast wasn't new to me. It spoke of stupidity, anger, and self-indulgence. Each negative aspect was dangerous by itself, but all three coupled together and one person was unusual and volatile. Maybe these bad thoughts about him rolled through my mind because I was envious. I had met Sweet several times before, and he always looked like he was on top of the world with a big cheesy smile of his, loud wardrobe, and a large assortment of beautiful women floating on his arm. Or maybe it was this new scent that I couldn't identify. Or maybe it was because he was running from me, and I hate runners. I'm going to call it right now. She's a werewolf. He's a werewolf. He is. I'm thinking he's smelling another werewolf, and that's why he's all worked up. Could be. Maybe call she's him. a vampiress. Yep. Oh, a vampire. <laughs> My next steps were uncertain, as though I were walking on thin, slippery ice. But just being in the room gave me my next move, the tavern, down the street. I had smelled it on her. Maybe I could pick up the trail there or even come to recognize this other odor. Places like that bar, obviously it's called, are hard on my sense of smell. They are hard on all my senses, but on my sense of smell particularly... I paused at the threshold of the room, looking back over my shoulder at the wrecked scene. Furniture turned on its back, ashtrays on the floor, the TV at its side. It looked as though there had been an altercation. But I did not buy it. It was more likely staged. The TV was on its side, but undamaged. Someone placed it there noiselessly, so that no one would have to answer any pesky questions from the boys in blue about a fake bite. It was probably staged to throw me off. It wouldn't work. I took one last short sniff before closing the door behind me. It was like hitting the save button on a document. Now the smell lay on my hard drive, waiting. 
As I walked down the stairs, past the main desk and out the front door into the hot sun, my stomach tightened. There was a hint of blood in the water. Not real blood, but pending blood, permeating everything and everyone involved. The blood was compromised of this unknown smell. Sweet running in this staged hotel room when I smell sangle. This early while tracking someone, it usually ends badly. A woman passed me wearing a heavy brand of colonge that almost covered up the smell of her sweat. Her body powder, her pheromones, her cancer, almost, but not quite. There was always a part of me that wants to run after people like her and tell them to go see their doctor, but like Kim does with people in their skin. Yeah. But after years and years of passing people in bars on sidewalks, riding the subways, who were in the unknown throes of death from one disease or another, it gets kind of old. I reached into my pocket, removed my handkerchief. And placed it over my nose and mouth. I love the city, but it was one of its drawbacks for me. It's high concentration of people. The cars with its exhausts, spewing from its innards, the garbage. The distant smells assault me and sometimes leave me with blinding migraines. But I always fought, though. I had a job to do. I worked for a kneecap banker. A loan shark! Whose rates were so high that very few ever came to him. I'm the werewolf muscle that gets it sent in to collect when its payments are missed. When people run, or when things generally go sideways instead of according to plan. Those who went to my boss were the very desperate who need money. Like homeowners who needed to catch up on bank payments. Or the embezzling businessman who put, put money in the back of the business until the IRS eyes wandered up. There were others, of course. Stupid people who had an inside track on a can't-miss gambling trip or a foolproof way of winning at roulette. Stupid people. I stepped away from the shaded overhang of the hotel and the sun burned me and everyone else who walked on the concrete sidewalks. The waves of heat seemed to liquefy the air, the tar-covered roads, and to obscure the distant concrete landscape. The usually definite shapes in the distance of houses and cars blurred and melted together. No breeze brought relief. I was lucky the bar wasn't too far from the hotel. I stepped inside, out in the sun, into cool dimness and desperation of the bar and was reminded of a day when I was young. When I was a little boy, my mother had sent me to get my father out of the tavern and come home. My mother had a way of trying to shame my father into staying home. Shame him into working. Shame him into paying the bills. Into doing what he thought was right. I don't think she understood him. He was shameless. The day my mother sent me to collect my father it had been a scorcher like this one. As soon as I entered the bar and felt the cool air brush against my swathashin, providing instant relief, I thought I understood why he came to that dark place. I thought I knew why he spent his days and a great many nights sitting on a bar stool drinking foul-smelling liquid that made him and other grown men grimace. I thought I understood, but I didn't know about hopelessness. I didn't understand about wallowing in self-pity. I didn't know about despair or the deep, dark hole that a person can dig themselves into one drink at a time. I must have been seven. I remember going up to him and standing quietly beside him until one whiskey-sodden eye fell on me. Looking back on it from an adult's point of view, I know that I felt inconsequential, like a fly hovering around him, of no worth. No value. I got those two backwards. A nuisance. Mom wants you. I said. Yeah, well, people in hell want ice water. He hadn't even looked my way. He downed another shot, grimaced, and poured another from a bottle parked near his elbow. 
I turned back, home because I knew no amount of talking could get my father to do anything he didn't want to do, but I heard his last comment. I should have never had kids! Hey, Chauncey, the bartender said, raising his hand and pulling me back to this bar. This moment, I raised my own in response, and I kept the hand with the handkerchief firmly in place. I usually take my beer and sit out back, but I had to stay inside today. I had a job to do. I found a booth and sat down. I knew I had to open myself to all the sights, smells, and sound of this tight space, but I wanted to do it slowly. I raised my free hand to the barkeep and signaled, One, with my forefinger. Pretty soon, a beer came my way, and right behind it, a shady-looking character who slid in beside me. Hey, man, I got some good shit, <laughs> he said. I lowered my handkerchief and leaned in close. I smelled pale skin that had spent too much time under fluorescent lights, gun-cleaning solvents, and donuts. I'm a fine, upstanding citizen. His eyes narrowed and I saw a flash of anger. He covered it up quickly, but not quick enough. I let the hand with the handkerchief fall away and I took a pull from beer, letting a beer burp, Jesus, half, letting half smile play out around the bottle's opening. I concentrated on the beer, letting the taste and texture, its identifiable ingredients play across my palate. It was the only way I could stay in this enclosed space with its catacophnic? Cacophonic. Help me out here, people. Cacophonic. Cacophony. Cacophonic. Yeah. All right. Mixture of different smells. I don't know what you're talking. Please, you guys know you can't fool me. Why try? The police had begun trying to get a beat on me for years, but I was always careful when talking on the phone. I always spotted the tail. If I had to meet someone and I felt I was being watched or recorded, I moved outside. If I still felt eyes on me, I moved down into the subway station. If paranoid feelings still persisted, I stepped out on the train. And if, after all that, I still felt uncomfortable, I'd hold the meeting, riding between cars and the sound of the movement in the train, the steel and concrete above the, of the system above, the roar of other trains around us, frustrate intrusive ears and obscure any recordings. In this business, an old joke applies. It's not paranoia if someone is really out to get you. He sat back and studied me. I leaned in and said, Look, I know to you I'm a douchebag and my boss is an <laughs> asshole. But all I'm doing is my job and I haven't broken the law. I'm just looking for someone. Big sweet. And I know that you guys keep track of people coming in here. Have you seen them? Why should I tell you so you can kill them? I put a shocked look in my face. Worthy of De Niro. Well... Maybe not De Niro. If I kill him, my boss won't get his money. Murder is bad for business. Capiche? Capiche. Capiche. And you gotta hold your fingers up like this, like you're pinching Capiche. something. Capiche? If I kill him, my boss won't get his money. Murder is bad for business. Capiche? Hand gesture, Kim. There we go. Got it. <laughs> oh, you got more. Yep. Besides, you don't want me to quietly spread the word that you're an undercover cop, do you? Another flash of anger. Cops, to a certain extent, are predictable. Robbers are also. Proud them both in certain ways, and you'll get a response. Hopefully the one you want. 
Someone once said that cops and robbers are the same size, same guy. While I agree, I think that this relationship is a little bit more complex. I believe that each one is kind of jealous and envious of the other. The robber's envious of the societal acceptance of the cop. The cop's envious of the way the robber flaunts the societal rules. Each one jealousy guards what he feels towards the other. The cops stared at me and I stared back. Finally, he acquiesced. And the contest was over. He dropped his eyes. Mm, Try reckless over on the west side. He said. A reckless lover? Yeah. Another dive! Another ranchackle hotel that was just a half notch above fleabag status. What did he do with all the money he borrowed? When a person like Sweet ran, they usually left town or spent like there was no tomorrow or both. He was doing neither. He better not turn up dead or I'll come looking for you. <laughs> Obviously. I said with a smile. I left the smoke-filled bar and stepped outside into the dying heat until slightly into slightly cleaner air. The sun was just dipping behind the skyline, making the shadows lengthen, providing shade and respite. 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 <laughs> I had to go report to my boss. I hate my boss. There was always something floating in the hate like a dead bloated body bobbing up and down with the tide. The dead body becomes recognizable when it breaks the surface and the reason for the hate focuses in those quiet times that we all have. I didn't like to admit to myself but I hated my boss because I was scared of him. I didn't know why. I decided to go to the reckless lover and make sure that they were both there before going to see the boss. Instead of going to the hotel, I went to the eyes and ears of the neighborhood. A Remy lying in the cooling but still hot sidewalk. I always called them Remy. There are so many of them that keeping track of names is just impossible. He was local vino aficionado who always barked himself on the corner. Sweet was a flashy kind of guy that people noticed when he was trying to move around without being seen. And since anyone that walked out of the hotel parking lot and passed this corner was hit up for loose change, I knew that Remy would have seen them. Hey, Remy, you seen Big Sweet? I asked, digging into my pocket and bringing out a ten for him to see. He turned his head in my direction once I understood I was talking to him. I bent over to see his face better, and that's when the memory struck me. It struck me hard as a bat. I hesitated for several seconds trying to dredge up the memory and restore it to a state that I understood. My face hovered above that Remy's, but in the memory, the roles were reversed. I was staring up at someone, the smell of alcohol, and the angle of the faces that was the link between the memory and now. I remembered waking up as a nine-year-old and seeing my father staring down at me. I smelled alcohol coming off him in foul waves. He was unsteady on his feet. I said, Daddy? That's when he hit me and knocked me senseless. Afterwards, I saw a warehouse filled with crying kids. And then the memory was gone, crumbled under the weight of here and now. When my eyes focused, I was left with the vacant stare of the Remy, the money, and the moment. When I went ahead pretending that nothing happened and I had remembered something important, something painful, I almost remembered. The Remy's eyes were focused on the $10 bill. The money helped the moment pierce his alcoholic stupor. He nodded and smiled and reached out to grasp the sawbuck, but I had to be sure that he wasn't just nodding his head to get the money. I drew the bill back and let it hover and tantalize his alcoholic lust, but remained just out of reach. Did he have someone with him? 
His smile widened and a look came to his face. Carnal desire. I could see that he had stirred feelings and memories in him that had probably been dormant for years, buried and supplanted by drugs and alcohol. That look said, I'd stop drinking if it meant I could get my hands on her, or maybe drugging too. I smiled. I handed him the sawbuck, went to my car and drove off, but instead of heading to my boss's house, I went home. It had been a long day, and my head started to throb. I needed sleep and some time to think and sort things out. When I awakened with the sun streaming through my bedroom windows, the alarm clock blaring, I wanted to turn over and put the pillow over my head. But I knew I had to see my boss, and I still needed answers. And I had to get to big sweet. I got up and into the shower. I had dreamed last night of that damned warehouse. I didn't remember it at all, but I did recall myself, as a child, crying, wailing like a banshee, shivering from fear. I also dreamed of teeth and biting and being bitten over and over again. I shook the dream out of my head as I stepped out of the shower. I drove to the reckless lover on autopilot, not thinking about the consequences of my next course of action, but I needed answers, and there were too many questions to ignore. The bellhop told me what room he was in, and I was reminded that a reputation is a wonderful thing. I knocked on the door and moved out of the range of the people, hoping that Sweet would fall for the old move. Uh, who is it? The feminine voice asked. <laughs> it was her! My heart skipped a beat. A room service. I replied. We didn't order room service, and... In a place like this? She said as she unlocked the door. As soon as the door cracked open, I placed my hand against it, stopping her from closing it. I didn't think I needed to. She was surprised to see me, but there was also something else there. Recognition. Vague recognition. She was tall, taller than me, and she was dark. Dark eyes, dark hair, and olive skin. She was Latin, I guessed. Her hair cascaded past her shoulders. She saw me appraising her, and she lifted her chin, her proudness rising up like spring water. That unidentifiable scent was there again, stronger, deeper, and maddening in its meaning. Sweet came to the door, but whatever he said, had to say, died on his lips when he saw me and this woman staring at each other. I turned my head in his direction and started toward him. He was held in my orbit and had no choice but to move with me into the room. Sweet had run from me, and I couldn't have it happen again. I grabbed his arm and shoved him into the small bathroom because I didn't want her to see what was going to happen next. I pushed him into a corner near the shower. I put one hand against the wall, and with the other, I grabbed the towel rack. He was caught in between my arms and effectively stopped from moving around. I leaned in and faced Sweet. We were eye to eye until I cracked the door open and let my monster peek out. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, he's got this like horrible dick that just scares people. <laughs> and it just comes out on its own. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Because He's got one hand on the tall rack, the other <laughs> yeah. one on the wall. Yep. I grew several inches away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, starting again. All right. I grew several inches over him and widened until my clothes were tight. My complexion darkened with my hair and my teeth lengthened. Sweet's eyes rounded with fear. He turned pale and started to shake. I reached out to his jaw and lifted it with my 
paw hand, exposing his jugular. There was nothing he could do, and I reveled in his helplessness. I heard his heart beating hard. I smelled blood, hot with fear, and I knew, I just knew, that his blood would be sweet, honeyed by his terror. Whenever I open that dark doorway, I'm always filled with a dangerous desire, a bloody path I want to follow. I want to throw open the door, to knock the door off its hinges and let the darkness out, but to let the monster have its way, to let the blood flow down our chin. Once the door slipped from my hand and I managed to get control again, but by then it was too late. I had heard the stuttering heart, beating so fast to pump Bud efficiently that I ignored it. By the time I understood what was happening, it was too late. He was dead. His name was Russell King. Awesome. Thank you. I sniffed Big Sweet's carteroid. Carteroid? Kim, you're a medical professional. Carotid. Carotid. See, I knew I wasn't saying it right. Carotid artery. There you go. I sniffed Big Sweet's carotid. Taking in the heady smell of fear, struggling to keep the door open but not completely wide open, I said, don't run. Oh, go ahead, Kim, say it. Uh, don't run. (laughs) (laughs) But my voice had changed. Deepened until what I said came out as barely recognizable. A barely recognizable snarl. My message got across, though. I saw what I wanted to see in Sweet's face. Fear and docility. 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 So, I reluctantly closed the door. I shrank back to a normal size and looked at Sweet again on an even level. Pack up. We're uh, going to see the boss. (laughs) (laughs) I said, turning away and walking out of the cramped space. I'll give you a hundred thousand to let us go. (laughs) He said, that's very good. His voice had a tremor of fear running through it now. He had never seen the monster. Very few people had. All he had was a peek, a brief glimpse at something that had defied science. Mm, No dice. Back up. I said, when I walked back through the door and into the cramped room, I was met with her fragrance, her presence, and I couldn't help myself. I was struck dumb by the whole package. Two hundred thousand. He said. I ignored him. Do I know you? She asked me. No. I said after a long, uncertain pause. What's your name? I asked her. I wanted to be sure. Uh, Carmen. Carmen, Carmen, Carmen. I racked my brain, but I didn't know a Carmen. I was going to pay him back. It's just that someone is looking for her. We had moved around. Sweet said. Uh Uh-huh. Keep packing. You don't have to convince me of anything. I'm just a courier picking up a package and delivering it to my boss. Silence fell on the pair while they placed their belongings into suitcases. She eyed me from time to time. I watched her also, but my thoughts ran a duel track. On one track was the question of this unrecognizable scent. The other was purient. Purient. The second quickly crowded out the first. It involved... What I would do to her, how I would do it, and how long I would do it, and if she ever gave me the chance. I couldn't help myself. She was gorgeous. <laughs> when they were ready, I followed them downstairs and into my car. The enclosed space concentrated her scent. By the time we reached the highway, I was sweating and biting my lower lip. I felt like a crackhead fiending for a hit. I opened the window and breathed through a mouth. 
Beer burp. I wanted to let my tongue hang out, but I restrained myself. By the time we reached the boss's house, I felt better. My head had cleared, and I could think. What was she doing to me? I stopped and let the gates open. Security stepped to the car, recognized me, and waved me on. I drove down the driveway, around the water fountain, and stopped at the front door. We stepped inside. As we walked through the door, Carmen and Big Sweet were walking in front of me. I smelled something different, harsh chemicals in a mixture. I recognized it as hair dye, but I was unprepared for what I saw. I saw the boss with his hair, now jet black again like it was 15 years ago. I took a step backwards as everything, all emotions, all memories, cascaded and flowed together as the dam finally broke. And then, and then I remembered and understood most of everything. Most of the pieces of the puzzle had fallen into place. Knowing Carmen's identity was even a possibility. It was her hair. Her hair was the trigger for my buried memories. My breath caught in my throat. I didn't know everything. I had to play some things by ear, which made things unpredictable and dangerous. The boss's office was furnished with the most awful paintings and furniture I had ever come across. The two chairs in the front desk were the gaudy Lewis, the 14th kind, with high backs and red velour fabric. They were both smaller than the boss's chair. His chair was taller, wider, and more ornate. Uh, the two in the front desk. There was a painting behind his desk of the boss, dressed as a king, wearing one of those powdered wigs. Awesome. The desk, I know, sat, I would love to see this office. Sat behind, though, was a work of handcrafted art. It was too big. They would take the boss three or four steps from where he sat just to get to the end of the desk. The only thing bigger in that room was his ego. I stood in front of the desk when Sweet came from behind me and moved to my left. He was carrying one of those suitcases that looked like a duffel bag on wheels. Honest, God, I was going to come see you. I got the money. Let me see, the boss said. Sweet laid the suitcase on the floor and began to unzip it. The boss pointed at me and I pushed Sweet out of the way. He fell to the floor and made a kind of... Oof! Sound up. Oh, there you go. Sorry, I stepped on your no, line. No, no. I thought that I had pushed him too hard, and then I heard him start to cry. Maybe I hadn't pushed him hard enough. The suitcase was packed with loud clothes that made my eyes hurt. Hygiene products that offended my sense of smell and money. Stacks of money. He had also had a small revolver tucked in the side compartment. I took the gun and showed it to the boss, and he pocketed it. The reason he didn't pull the gun into the hotel room was that he wanted to shoot me and the boss at the same time. Even if he would have shot me and killed the boss, he would have never got past these guards. Then I started to go through the money. After 500000 I stopped counting and estimated that there was over $1 million in the bag. I let out a low whistle. I can't whistle. Oh, really? Nope. You actually suck at whistling. I do. You lived a long life. Time you to never... time. Time mm. to time I can whistle. Okay, okay. ready? There, well, let Brian take it. I can whistle better than that. <laughs> It'd be kind of cool if that was the whistle well, I didn't did. know if it was a bird. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be awesome if he looks at like all this minus goes. <laughs> That's a lot of money. <laughs> He got enough to pay you and then some. I said. I swiveled on the balls of my feet where I squatted to look at Big Sweet. This was the same idiot with the big pasted on shit-eating grin most of the time. Where did this guy get all this money? I stared at Big Sweet, but he was looking at the boss. I won. I was going to pay you. What did you win? The boss asked. Gator Man in the fifth. Twelve to one odds. He said. 
You bet the whole hundred thousand on a racehorse, the boss asked. Sweet didn't answer. He let the money speak for him. He had that damn smile plastered across his mug. Kind of like the Burger King uh, King. (laughs) He's just spreading his hands out going, look. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The boss sat down heavily in his chair, disbelief in his face and body language. He folded his hands on a large belly. He said nothing. Just the dyed dark hair at odds with the deep, lined, wrinkled face. Every time he exhaled, I smelled his weakness. It turned my stomach. The silence stretched out. Take them both out back and put two in his head and two more in her, the boss said to me. A wail of despair filled the room. It was sweet. Carmen was calm as a summer's day. Uh-oh. What the boss wanted me to perform... I know, she's a vampire. Not yeah. a vampire, she's a wolf. What the boss wanted me to perform was straight justice. Sweet had borrowed money and ran. No one would say anything if he turned up missing. I stood, walked over to the chair to his front desk, and sat down instead. His eyebrows rode and it rose in incredulity. Didn't you hear me? I said, kill him. I crossed my legs and pretended to see a piece of lint on my pant leg as I picked at there was no one else in the room that he could order. It was just the boss, sweet Carmen, and me. I stood up and walked to Carmen and led her to a chair beside mine. I smiled at her. She watched me, probably wondering what the hell was going to happen next. I sat down next to her. Sweet was prostrate on the prostate, prostrate on the floor, crying, bawling like a child. You're my goddamn dog, do as I say. I looked at him, trying to get my own temper under control. I wanted to let my monster loose on him, to revel in his blood and entrails, but instead I said... It was a good plan, for the moment. For a few years, but you didn't think long-term, did you? Not long, long long-term, anyway. What are you talking about? The boss asked. I was coming back to pay you. No one thought the age factor, did they? Until it was too late. I said. The boss hung his head. I turned to her. Carmen, I'm muscle for him. I collect payments for gambling and loan sharking. I'm effective. The payback rate is 100% since I've worked for the boss. Well, not quite 100%. There was one heart attack that happened when I went to work on a client. It was unavoidable and unfortunate death. It happened because I'm much more than just muscle for a kneecap banker. I'm a werewolf. Ooh, he's putting it out there. But she started until I laid my hand on top of hers. It was the first time I had touched her, and if I felt something, good. I looked into her eyes, and I knew then who she was. I had to wrap up all of the loose ends. I'm just guessing here, but I... I think you met Sweet at the track, am I right? She didn't say anything, but she blushed and smiled. She was on the run and needed money and a place to hide. Sweet provided both! The fact that I ran across her scent while looking for numbnuts was pure coincidence. I knew that I was on the right track. One question, Sweet. I said, turning to him. You had all the money. Why didn't you just leave? I hear the south of France is wonderful this time of year. That was my fault. I wanted to find you. (laughs) Carmen said, staring at me. Me? The seconds ticked off, and she didn't elaborate, so I didn't push. (laughs) 
I turned back to my boss. I knew I needed to control my anger with him, but it wouldn't be easy. I took a deep breath. It was time to finish this mess, but the enormity of the situation pushed all sense of urgency away. Quietly, slowly, I said, Somehow, some way, 20 years ago, either you or one of your guys captured a werewolf. The boss's eyes were suddenly reptilian slits. Oh, shit. <laughs> Werewolves are almost extinct. But somehow you caught one, and you had him chained up in one of your warehouses. That's when one of you guys had the bright idea of turning children into werewolves, training them until they reached adulthood, training them to bow down to the alpha dog, training them to obey their respective bosses. Maybe you bargained his freedom for his cooperation, or maybe you tortured him. How many children were there? Ten? Fifteen? Thirty-one. The boss replied, I was surprised at his calmness and the high number. There was an anger boiling just below his surface and mine. He didn't like to be questioned, especially by a slav. It was okay because his anger didn't bother me now. His anger was no longer a factor in my decisions. My life up to this point, like everyone else's, was a photo album that had a logical progression and told a story. But the pictures in my album were blurry, off-center and missing several pages and pictures. I was a boy of nine when I came to the property of the boss. I was made to fear him through physical and mental torture, and now that part of my life was ending. You bought 31 kids? It was a rhetorical question spoken aloud to wrap my mind around the number. I didn't buy 31 children, I bought you. But there were 31. I was part of 31. You tortured me. I said through clenched teeth as the moment started to reach an emotional realization, an emotional crescendo. You wouldn't let me see my family. I had to, the boss said. You had to accept me as your one and only elf. I had no choice in the matter. No choice? Carmen said. Her tone was indignant. She stood up, but I placed my hand on her arm, calming her, guiding her back to her seat. I swallowed my own anger and continued. I needed more answers, but I was getting tired. I had been swallowing my anger and fear for years. Too many years. I was bursting at the seams, drowning, trying to contain it all. It must have been some kind of hard work to make sure that none of us met. That none of us ran across one another. I said... Not really, each boss has an area You never went past Highway 81 or the interstate, did you? Damn! (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna pay you back! Shut up! I said How much did you pay for me? He didn't answer How much? I demanded Your father sold you for a case of whiskey He said almost too low to hear A case? You stole my childhood? You kept me from my mother? I stood up, my hands clenched, my shoulders bunched, my jaw tensed and relaxed, tensed and relaxed. I started to turn, but it was against my will. My control had slipped. My heart beat hard against my breastbone and my breath deepened. I grew several inches in height. My teeth lengthened and and I wanted blood badly. But then I felt her hand on my forearm. Her light touch meant a lot to me. The sight of her made the anger depart, disperse as though it was steam. From a just-doused fire, 
Beerberg, I shrank back to my normal size, but my heart still beat in staccato bursts. My shirt was in tatters. I flung it on the ground and wondered who was the bigger monster, the boss or me. I was going to pay you back. Shut up, the boss said. His voice sounded strained. I closed my eyes, and when I opened them, I caught Carmen's movement out of the corner of my eye. She was the only good thing out of this whole mess. I got down on one knee and grasped Carmen's hand and ignored the boss. The room was silent. When the boss sent me to go look for the numbnuts over there, I crossed your scent. I said to her. And it smelled. And it smelled like heaven. But there was something else that caught my attention and it drove me up a wall. All of the children were made of the same werewolf. The scent I picked up, the thing that drove me crazy was the scent of the pack. You belong to my pack. The boss's jaw dropped. Apparently, he didn't know Carmen. He probably hadn't seen her since she was bitten. I had a sudden flash of memory that took me back to a damp warehouse where I woke up after being knocked senseless by my father, where I saw other children, where I was roughly grabbed and dragged into another room. I remember being seeing the boss standing off to one side with other men, talking. His face was unlined. His hair was jet black and slick. Certain visual cues always stand out for different reasons to different people. The boss's hair, a slicked back pompadour that was something that stood out to me when I first saw it as a child. I had unconsciously taken that memory, that photo out of my photo album, and I buried it so deep that it only resurfaced when I saw the boss and his new dye job. At the warehouse, I fought and cried in vain. I remembered seeing a dark-haired girl cowering in the corner. Carmen. She shook and cried just like I did. Then the pain of teeth, a biting, and my skin being ripped by a chained werewolf. Sent any coherent thoughts scattering. Pain, fear, and tears obscured the rest of the memory. My eyes focused on the room again, but I was disoriented, sweating, nauseous. I swallowed the bile that tried to rise, closed my eyes, and counted to five. I had a job to do. I stood up and faced the boss and said, I think that she had the same problem I'm having now. My alpha is weak. I smell your weakness. I think that this scene is probably playing out in all territories where werewolves are used for muscle. I leaned forward, my palms on the desk, tense and ready. What does a wolf do when his alpha is weak? I said through clenched teeth. There was anger, indignation, and pain in my voice. My father didn't want me and sold me off like a piece of unwanted furniture. My mother died while I was working for the boss. I didn't know where my brother was. What does a wolf do when his alpha is weak? No one moved. I saw a bead of sweat trickle down the boss's temple. I heard his heart thundering in his chest. I started to grow and darken with hair. The boss went for his gun, and he kept in his desk drawer, but he was fat, slow, and old. His hands fumbled with the center drawer, but he managed to get it open. His hands wrapped around the handles. I leapt at him. I changed in midair, my pants falling away. I landed on top of him, knocking him out of his chair to the floor. The gun went off as it was thrown from his hand. The bullet flew harmlessly into the brick wall. The smell of acrid silver filled the air. The world was red. 
All the scents that flowed in the room sharpened in texture and the tone as my back and limbs grew wider, nodding and cording with muscle. My jaws grew to a size that could easily accommodate a human head. My paws pinned his arms. Razor-sharp talons grew and scraped against the floor as he struggled. I spread my mouth and placed my teeth under his chin. I smelled his terror, his tumors growing out of control. I smelled his weakness. When I collected money from difficult clients, this is where I stopped. This is the demarcation line I tried to never cross. This is where they began to talk gibberish, drool, and soil their clothes. This is the moment when I heard their hearts beating so fast and so hard got those two backwards, I wondered how it managed to stay in their chest and not explode. But now there was no line stopping me. I kept going. I could snap his head clean from his body, but he had been my alpha. I wanted to show some respect. I ripped his throat out instead. (laughs) (laughs) There was a gurgle of hot blood rushing into the cool, air-conditioned atmosphere of the room. He began to thrash about wildly, his hands covering his throat, trying desperately to stop the bleeding. But the sangue seeped through his fingers, staining the carpet, expanding in an ever-widening, obscene circle. I backed away and let him die. I heard a low growl from the other side of the desk. Carmen had transformed into a dark-coated wolf, as large and as fearful-looking as me. Sweet had tried to sneak out. She held him in place until the ex-boss breathed his last, and I was ready. I ran over to Sweet. Warm blood still dripping from my jaws, and I knocked him down. I stood over him, on all fours. Blood dripping from my jaws on his face. I growled. You shouldn't fear. For what I wanted to do, he had to be in a submissive posture. He had to submit to me. With my teeth, I ripped off his shirt. I bit him over and over again. I didn't want to kill him, but he had to accept me as an alpha. He screamed in pain. None of the guards burst in the room to come to his rescue. They were expecting screams. Beer burp. Sweet was a flawed man, but we needed as many bodies as possible. We needed a pack. There was no telling what the other bosses would do once they found out what happened here. I turned back into human form and watched as Sweet's body began to seize and then relax, then seize again. His eyes were wide and fixed on nothing, his pheromones changing. I was naked. I walked over and put my pants back on. Carmen did the same. (laughs) Together we began to... Go through the boss's papers until we finally found what we were looking for, a map of all the territories. We had 29 more werewolves to find, but we weren't worried. We knew the scent of the pack now. We would find them. I turned to her. She wanted to find me, she had said. That statement left another question. Did you catch my scent from the bar? She smiled, nodded, and moved closer to me. I took her hand, and she laid her head on my shoulder. I smelled your scent, and it left me breathless. I need to find you, (laughs) but I had to find you while running for my, from from my old boss. (laughs) She said. (laughs) I smiled at her truthfulness and at the uh, uh, intimacy of the moment. I had never known true intimacy because of my job, my boss. This was my chance. I wouldn't blow it. I separated myself from Carmen, moved the ex-boss's body aside, righted the chair, and sat. Carmen moved close to me again. We were packed, but we needed to expand. We would start with the guards in the hallway and the gate. We had over one million in cash and probably much more in the safe house. The house safe. 
I keep getting words backwards. It was enough for a start, enough for me and my pack, because now I am the lone shark. Now I am the kneecap banker! I was really gonna pay him back! Shut up! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like this story. It was good! Yeah, this was great. Alright, so that was Kneecap Banker by L. Jordan James. International Man of Mystery. International Man of Mystery. Hmm, and I don't know how to promote him. It's a shame. He's like a reclusive artist. (laughs) Someone's going to discover his papers after he's dead. That's right. And we made a show out of it before it happened. We get to shoehorn our way into his fame. Kim. Yes. My favorite part. Nope. Ten. No, I asked the question. Nope, you're going to say that. (laughs) Wait. What are your sweat levels? Ten. Ten sweat levels. Kim gives it a ten. There's been a lot of tens going on lately. Yeah. What are we, easy graders? I guess we are. Exactly. There's going to be one author that we're going to be like, one. I'm going to give it a three. No. It's going to happen at some point. That person's just going to walk into a lake. We are easily easily entertained. Maybe that might be it. Maybe we're just thankful that they're allowing us to read their stuff. Yes. Brian. Yeah, 9.99. 9.99? How about that? Just to change it up. Just to change it up. Does that work? Do you have impressions? Impressions? Impressions of the story? Like... Like Jerry Lewis kind of impressions. <laughs> Pretty lady. Can you do an impression of Kim when you come home from work? <laughs> oh, no. there's the sound. That's the sound I was waiting for. Yeah. Well, we do have to change this up. So we are always given nines and tens all the time. I'm going to give an 8.5 just because we got to start lowering the bar. Mm-hmm. And I want to give it a higher mark, but I have to lower the bar. I liked how Brian's character kept saying, but I was going to pay you back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so there you go. Kneecap Banker by L. Jordan James. This is the segment where Kim writes her Oh, okay, good. Listen, I've got one from Unknown. (laughs) Unknown. I hate it when you pull out the unknowns. I know. Because you know it's just Kim writing them. It's not. <laughs> it is. It is. Admit mm-hmm. it. Come on. Oh, Give wow. Give yourself some credit. You Fine. do get creative on some of those unknowns. All right. Here is our inspirational quote of the week. <laughs> she says in a horse voice. <laughs> the horse voice of <laughs> haggard old slut. Our literary quote of the week. I All couldn't right. think of the phrase. All right. Each time you open a book and read it, a tree smiles knowing there is life after death. Oh. 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 Inspired. Did you like that? Yeah. I like that. That okay. brought pleasure to me. It titillated me. Sweet. It had whimsy. Uh, Greenpeace tree hugger would say, "Screw uh, that. That's not right." Yeah, you don't kill that tree. We got ebooks now. <laughs> okay, get ready to clap. I'm doing my warm up. Two thirty. Stop it. That's. You can reach us by visiting our website. Please let me read to you.com where you can read about upcoming shows or contact us through the forum to have us read your book or tell us what you think. You can also email us at please let me read. Don't you fucking touch me. <laughs> at please let me read to you at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our show at Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. We can rate and leave a comment. And you can find us on the web at Facebook, Facebook.com slash I need to radio, Twitter, Twitter.com. At let me read to you. Tumblr, please let me read to you. Tumblr.com. And if you're John Jackula, you can listen to us on SoundCloud. Haven't really heard from him. Don't really got much to complain about. No. 
for the for the first time. <sighs> you got nothing. I haven't really heard from. Him. Maybe I should make that my thing. Even though it's kind of a relief. Where you at, Johnny? No one cares. Hey, John. Oh, everyone's being friendly to him now. Look, he's getting a break. Where the fuck are you? There we go. If you're not pissing me off, you're not worth anything. SoundCloud.com slash I'm reading to you now. Thanks for reading. I heard you. What, I put my lips on it. It's not a big deal. Like that microphone hasn't had lips all over. Yeah. Wash it. You're looking at me. I think you should do it with your with your uh, grumpy man voice. Do your best impression of Brian (laughs) when he wakes up in the morning. He's kind of quiet. He's not talking very much. He's still kind of half asleep. But he's got to take a dump, and you're trying to get him to answer a question. He's just not in the mood for it, but he's also not really with it, and not trying to be rude. Go. Officer, I'm surprised at you. <laughs> I said in low tones, that's pretty good. Murder is bad for business. Capiche? Capiche. Capiche. And you got to hold your fingers up like this, like you're pinching Capiche. something. Capiche? If I kill him, my boss won't get his money. Murder is bad for business, capiche? Hand gesture, Kim. There we go. Got it. <laughs> oh, you got more. 